0: Father, I thank you that you are a God that enters into our situations. You know right where we are, whether it's relational, physical, emotional, spiritual, you are there with us. For those that are hurting today, Lord, which is most of us in some way, I ask that you would touch each one in their area of need, bring healing, help, and hope to those who are suffering. Again, thank you that you are our God. May the God of hope, fill you with joy and peace that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we're in the book of Matthew and we're studying the the Olivet Discourse and it's the last week of Jesus' life. It's Tuesday of the last week of his life. He's told us what to expect before he comes back. He answers two questions. When will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? And we spend a considerable point, amount of time on the tribulation period, and the things that we are looking forward, to, that we're looking forward to, but the world is going to be looking forward to as we get closer and closer to the tribulation period. Then Jesus transitions in, his, in the Olivet Discourse to focusing on some parables. And we, talk, we learned about the parable of the fig tree and, and, and how important the nation of Israel coming into existence is. And we learned about the days of Noah, that when Jesus comes back, it'll be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot in other areas of scripture. And we see that today in our world. Then we talked about the, the, the two servants, one faithful and unfaithful. And then we had the, the virgins and all of these. And this week we're gonna have the talents. And every one of these parables that he gives us tells us something very significant to watch and be ready, to watch and be ready as the body of Christ. Most of the world doesn't care. Most of the world isn't watching and being ready. Most of the world is oblivious to what's going on, blinders on, earmuffs on, and all they hear is the stuff that's going on around them in their world. But God is speaking loud and clear through his word what to expect. Now, this week, it's going to be the parable of the talents. The ten virgins told us to watch and be ready. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. But the parable of the talents tells us what to do as we're watching and being ready. We're to be actively engaged in the master's work until he comes back. Let's see what God has for us today in this section of scripture. Matthew chapter 25 verse 14 through 30. Please stand as we read the word of God together. For the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, to one he gave 5 talents, to another 2, and to another 1, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went out on the journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he would receive two talents, two more also. But he who had received one talent went, dug in the ground, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he came and received the one talent, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but him for him, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of God. Our Father, we are indeed grateful for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you penetrate the veneer the covering of each heart, expose our hearts, and help us to hear from you today the treasures that you have for each individual person in here. Lord, speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now remember the focal point of the Olivet Discourse, that's Jesus' last sermon in the book of Matthew, is that he's coming back the king is coming, the king is coming, praise God, maybe you can say this, he's coming for me, hopefully he's coming for you, last week we talked about the ten virgins, we knew there were ten bridesmaids, all ten bridesmaids were to be ready, all of them had oil to begin with, then the surprise came, and remember when Jesus comes back, it's going to be a surprise, it's going to be an unknown hour when he comes for his church, when he comes for his bride, five bridesmaids lit their lamps, and and their oil went out, fives, The lamp stayed lit, and those five then went to find oil, and when they went to find oil, the marriage procession took off without them, and they went from the bride's house to father's house, where the marriage ceremony would take place and the celebration would take place, and they did not have the oil, and something significant happened. They came and started knocking on the door. Let us in, Lord. Open to us. Lord, Lord, open to us are the exact words. Let us into the celebration. And Jesus said, and they're pathetic, you could just hear them crying, pleading, let us in. And they hear these words from the Lord Jesus, I do not know you. And they were not allowed in. Remember, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The five ran out of oil is a picture of many who look like a Christian, but are not a Christian. Many think they're believers, but they are make-believers, not real believers. How do I know if I'm real? How do I know if I'm going to be locked out? How do I know if I'm a phony or not a phony believer? Well, there's several things. First of all, the first question you have to ask yourself, have I really believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior and received the gift of salvation? Have I really done that? Now, remember, to believe is not just mental assent. So many people say, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried. That's the gospel message. But you have to internalize it. You have to receive his dying in your place for you personally to be saved. Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born again in the family of God. Have you actually done that? Secondly, are you working for the master? Thirdly, have you been changed? And I think genuine belief there will be some sort of change. Now remember, fruit is evidence of change. Fruit in a person's life. What is fruit? Fruit is character change. And then we start to have produced in us because we're dwelling in Christ and the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things that we see in Galatians chapter 5. But then I cautioned, we are not fruit inspectors. I'm not to go around and say, oh, you're in, you're out. Oh, you're not saved. You're not doing enough. That is not in the purview of humans. Only God knows those who are genuine. What I am to do is examine my life. Remember 2 Corinthians 13:5. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that Christ is in you unless you have been a docimos? disqualified, not genuine. So, the encouragement that Paul gives is look at your own life to see if you meet the criteria for salvation. Have you really believed and accepted Christ as your Savior? Now, remember, admittance in the millennial kingdom is for genuine believers only, those who think they had the oil. They weren't getting in, So phonies will not get into the millennial kingdom. They will not get into the kingdom of God. They'll be separated from God forever in a place that we traditionally call hell. It's actually the lake of fire. 2 Timothy 2.19 tells us about this genuineness. He says this, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. God knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord, what does it say? must turn away from wickedness. That is evidence. When you start examining your life and you see changes in your life, I'm not doing the same thing. I'm not going to the same places. Then you can say, okay, I'm, at least I'm on the right track. I'm on the right track. It's so important. So many people say, I know Jesus, but folks, you must worship the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Why am I saying that? Because every cult in every world religion has a positive view of Jesus, what we would call positive. It's really a degrading view of Jesus because they don't see him as God. They don't see him as deity, God incarnate, God in flesh. They see him in several ways. Watch how Islam sees him as a great prophet, second to Muhammad, created. Hinduism, he's a wise teacher, created. Buddhism, he's a spiritual teacher, enlightened Like Buddha, like Buddha. Jehovah's Witnesses say he's Michael the Archangel. Mormons say he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, the spirit brother at Satan. That's Mormonism for real. Judaism says he's a false prophet, a false messiah. Scientology says he's a good man and reaches a high level of spiritual awareness but doesn't quite make it to the top rung like Hubbard does, the Scientologist. Folks, believing in the wrong Jesus will not save you. Now, this week, we're talking about the talents, and we start in verse 14 and 15. The master entrusts his possessions to his servants. Now, make no mistake, he's giving an illustration here, but the illustration is very clear God has given you certain talents and abilities that he expects you to carry out while you're here waiting for Jesus to come for you. Now, that's really the message that is pointed out here. So verse 14 and 15, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. So it'd be Jesus, he came to earth, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one. And to each according to his own ability, let that resonate in your minds, each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey, he went back to Father's house, this is the picture, he's using an illustration here, a picture of what he he is doing. So Jesus being the master teacher, Jesus being the most incredible leader that has ever existed, is preparing his disciples for life without him. Now he's not going to leave them alone, because remember at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit will come upon the disciples and upon every believer to allow you to be able to accomplish whatever he's given you to do. So you don't have any excuses why, oh, I can't do it, I can't. Yes, you can, because God's Spirit lives in you. He says he'll send one just like himself, allos, one just like him. That is the Spirit of God. Now remember what a disciple is. This is an important point here. He's called a mathetes in the Greek. It means a learner who accepts the instructions given to him and makes it his rule of conduct as someone who is teachable, teachable. The learner will take on the characteristics of his teacher. Now, Jesus, when he uses the word disciple, he uses it in this way to include everyone who's following him and believe in him, who place their trust in him. Real disciples will stick with Jesus. If you remember in Matthew chapter 6, there was a plethora, that means a whole bunch, that had left Jesus because his They were disciples that were following him, that his teaching got too tough, got too hard, and they decided they would leave. We can't do this anymore, Jesus, and they left. They left. Jesus is giving an illustration this week about the talents. Now, what is a talent? Well, the word is talaton. It's a weight, a coin, a sum of money. Now, listen to this. You may not have known this. It's 75 pounds of silver, 16 and a half years' wages for one talent. Now, why do I say that? Because I got it from somebody else. <laughs> Dr. Constable says this in his commentary. Originally, a talent was a measure of weight, 58 to 80 pounds. Most translators round it off to 75 pounds. And then he goes on to say, later on, a coin was, was, was minted. It was 6,000 denarii. The earning power of a talent was equivalent to about 16 and a half years of wages. That's an amazing thing to me. The one talent guy who we feel sorry for, 16 and a half years of wages this guy had. The five talent guy had more than a lifetime of earnings. So you can see that a single talent is a considerable amount that God has given to a person. A considerable amount. Now I want you to notice an important thing that Jesus said here. A really important thing talents were given each according to his own ability that is important and I'll elaborate that more in just a few seconds different level of responsibility depending upon ability and folks I want to tell you something I think you realize this we are all different we are all different Different abilities, different opportunities, different genetic programming, different training, different motivations, different inputs into our lives, different families we've been born into, different countries we've been born into. We're all different. But I want to suggest to you something, and I believe this with all of my heart. God is a God of infinite creativity, and I think that being different is good. Being different is good. God has made us with endless variety. Now look at when you go to U of M Stadium, you got hundred thousand screaming Michigan fans. They all look like humans. When you go to the airport and you people watching and you you see the diversity, and I have this picture, of this all these people coming up on the screen. Maybe it was already there, I don't know. But anyway, you're looking at the absolute amazing, they all look human, but they all look different. It's astounding to me how God has made such creativity. I mean, supposedly no two snowflakes are the same. Can you imagine that type of creativity? That is the God that we are serving, endless beauty. Acknowledging God's amazing creativity, we realize what God expects of you individually in his creation. You are only responsible to use the ability given to you not to be compared with everyone else on that picture. God expects you to be the best you, not comparing with everybody else around you. Do you hear that? That's an important concept. You must be the best you. Now think about it. Think about this world system. Think about Satan and how he tries to stir up discord. Satan and this world system are all about comparing at making you feel inadequate, making you feel like you don't quite measure up. You're not quite good enough. And then what happens to the human being is they start to detach. If I can't do anything right, if I'm inadequate, if I'm not good enough, I'll detach from what's going on. And that's exactly where Satan wants you, detached, useless, out of action. And I want to say something Loud I guess I'm saying loud enough. now, loud and clear again, don't take the bait of Satan. Know who you are in Christ. Act like who you are in Christ, and then by all means, be who you are in Christ. And let me say this: you are special. You are special, just the way God created you. Now look at, we're growing. I mean, God created you, and you know that you're a mess. And you're in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. But it's amazing that God loves us in this messy state that we're in. This messy, pathetic state. He created you. You are a child of the King, and I cannot tell you how much God adores you. You are adored by your Heavenly Father. He loves you implicitly. When you say yes to Jesus, He loves you implicitly as much as he's ever going to love you until the day you die or in heaven glorified before him, finally we'll be normal when we get to heaven. And the glorified say, we're not normal here. We're not normal here. We're struggling here. We're struggling here. Be your best for his glory. He entrusted some with some responsibility. Everyone has some. Use what he has given you. Verse 16 through 18, how each servant handled what was given to them. This is going to be about the how what each one got. So sixteen through eighteen. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Now he knew he had to do this. And likewise he who had received two gained two more, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now that's an amazing thing. They have been instructed on what to do, and two of them were obedient and one of them was not. So watch this. God knows exactly what he's doing. He gives you exactly what you need to do, what he knows you're capable of, and expects you to carry out your mission, not in your strength. It's not about us. It's about God working through us, allowing us to do the impossible, doing the impossible. The question is this, what will you do with the talents, abilities, and responsibilities that God has given to you? We have to answer that question. What will you do? He's given you something. He's given you a mission. The five-talent guy, he made five more. The two-talent guy, two more. And the one-talent guy, he just hides his treasure. He does nothing with what God has given to him. Please notice this. The five-talent guy is not more important than the one-talent guy. Now, we, think, we, think, we tend to look at things as importance. You know, somebody can jump higher, run faster, do whatever they are. You, you tend to look at that. No, God says... Everyone is equal before him. Five-talent guy is not more important than the one talent. All are equal at the foot of the cross. God does not play favorites. Now, if you remember many years ago when we were in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, (laughs) we ran into Peter, and Peter had the keys to the kingdom. And we struggled. What does that mean, the keys to the kingdom? And then we came up with this, We believe the keys of the kingdom is Jesus Jesus gave Peter the keys to open the kingdom to each people group, and it was to the Jews first. And we know that in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Peter was there when the kingdom was opened to the Jews, and the Jews received the Holy Spirit. Several years later, in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria, Peter is there with the keys to the kingdom and opened up the keys to the Samaritan people. And then finally, about a decade later, about 10 years after Pentecost or so, jesus goes to peter goes to the house of cornelius and he's instructed cornelius being a roman centurion peter being a prejudiced jew has wants nothing to do with any gentile gets this vision and he's told what he's supposed to do don't don't say something's unclean that is unclean peter i've declared this to be clean and then finally peter comes to the conclusion that I think is important for every human in this world to hear this. Acts chapter 10, 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He doesn't have any special characters. He doesn't select one people group over another. Okay, he selected the Jewish people for a purpose, to tell the world about the, about the, the true God And eventually they rejected the Messiah. So they were set aside. Now the church has that responsibility. God is not a face looker. He's an acceptor of the face. The parable is straightforward. He's given you responsibilities. You carry out the responsibilities until he comes for you. Now remember, he will come for you. Individually, he will take you or corporately. And we're all hoping for the corporate rapture. You know, I'd like to get out of here and not have to go through that death process. As we said many times, I'm not afraid of dying. I don't like the process. And if you've seen the process, you would agree. You would agree. Now, the question is, what is your mission? What are you responsible for? First and foremost, I already mentioned this at the beginning, to know Him. And one of the greatest scriptures for this is Philippians 3.10. Paul says this, I want to know Him. I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Oh, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. You know what that word know is? The word is know know is gnosko in the Greek. And it means to know him experientially. I want to experience Jesus. I want a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. Not this cursory, you know, distant relationship. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want more than anything in my life. And you will too, in your hour of need, you will want the presence of Jesus. And that's what he gives to you if you really know him. Have a deep relationship with him. Secondly, We are to represent him, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are Christ ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is, a representative of of the president or the king or whoever's in charge of your country. We are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And it goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is representing Jesus to the world around them, imploring people to be reconciled to Christ. So, as ambassadors of Christ, we represent Him wherever we are. Now, listen to this. In your home, on your work, on your team, in any relationship we have, in every venue, we represent our King. There's no place that we do not represent Him. That is an important concept. In other words, I cannot just blend into the background and pretend i'm not a christian and do everything that everybody else is doing and still say that i'm a, that i'm a believer in Christ. you might still be a believer but don't tell them you're a believer because what do they think of you hypocrite hypocrite more on that later more on that later a true believer is always aware of whom they are representing now the question is this, what are people seeing in you in your sphere of influence you bump into people all the time we all do what are they seeing in you? That's a good question. Now, hopefully, they're not seeing this, these few things here. Hopefully, they're not seeing a holier than thou. Oh, man, you've fallen. You should get right or get left. How, do you, how is that going to be winning anybody to Christ? You get right or get left, dude. You're going to hell. You know, that's not how you do it, okay? We're supposed to do this in love. A condemning spirit, hopefully not. A controlling spirit. Oh, you should. You ought. You better. You ever hear that? You should, you ought, you better. A blender. No one can even tell you're a Christian. You're, again, you're acting like everyone else around you. What should they see? Now, let me say this. It's not going to come up on the screen, so you're going to have to memorize this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. They should see, you want them to see, more of Jesus and less of real you. Okay? So what you would like them to see is a person that is naturally demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful and gentle self-control. When you start to do that, they know something. You've been with Jesus. You're not a phony. They know that you're something different there. Thirdly, we are to work for Him. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do. Now, what does that mean? That means whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men knowing that it is the lord christ you are serving know what you are serving since you know, know that you will not receive <laughs> since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the lord is lord is your reward it is the lord christ you are serving i had to get the rest of it in there the world you are immersed in must see the best you the best worker in the organization now please hear this Remember the principles for, the, for success in the work world that you're immersed in that the Benham brothers have shared with us. I've shared these four principles several times. These are not in your notes. So if you want to write them down, that's up to you. You can do that if you want. Number one, if you want to be successful, you want to represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are, wherever you're working. Number one, be faithful in the little things. Work with God purpose work with purpose you're reflecting your lord secondly and this is not easy produce more in value than you take in pay what does that mean that means you come to work a little bit earlier you might stay a little bit later and by all means while you're at work what do you do you work you don't spend half the time in the bathroom you're not taking half the time on the breaks You're not trying to sneak around and get out of all the work you can do. You're the most productive, best person you can be. Thirdly, be a fountain, not a drain. What does that mean? Come to work with a great attitude. I mean, you'll blow everybody away if you have a great attitude. The most common thing that happens at work is what? Complain. Complain. And it's so easy to complain. We're all depraved. We love complaining. We can just complain about everything. Join right in on that. So come with a great attitude. Be a fountain, not a drain. And th- finally, number four, breathe life. Breathe life into your workplace. And when I say that, I mean when you have the opportunity, you introduce Jesus in different conversations, and he will open the door for you. People will naturally do this. You can slip that in at many different, di- different venues in your, in your workplace. Breathe life. You're here for a purpose to be your greatest for his Glory. 19 through 23, the faithful guy, the count settling with the faithful guy. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You remember, he is coming. He is coming. And you will stand before Jesus one day. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to them, these amazing words, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now that's five talent guy, two talent guy gets up there. Now he's probably thinking, hmm, I only have two talents. I wonder what he's going to say to me. Pretty good job, but watch what he says. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord says to him, the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The faithful, listen to this. They were productive. They were productive. Five talent guy productive, two talent guy productive. Both were rewarded for their faithfulness, not the amount that they did. Both faithful servants were made servants, made an amazing confession of truth. And listen, this is watch what they said, Lord, you delivered to me. You gave these things to me. You gave these talents. The success they had came from God. Period. At the Bema seat judgment. And you know what it is because we've talked about it. You're good Calvary Chapel students, and we talked about the Bema seat. That's where believers receive rewards or loss of rewards, depending upon what we've done for Christ while we're here. If your, if your rewards make it through the fire, and it's wood, if it's wood, hay, or stubble gets burned up, you'll receive no reward. If it's gold, silver, precious stone, God will give you crowns. That can be your rewards. But we'll realize something, that it all came from him, and we will cast the crowns at his feet. We realize that on that day. Now you must understand something. Everything that you've done in this world, God has empowered you to do it. If you have great athletic ability, now I'm telling you, you can you can want to pitch all you want, but Nolan Ryan could throw over 100 miles an hour. Now you can do all the training you want, you can you can lift all the weights, you can do everything you want. Shoulder exercises, I want to throw. You're not you're not throwing 100 miles an hour. God has to give that to you. There's a few that get that. Or you can run 109-something. I mean, God gives that to you. You might develop that. I mean, Nolan Ryan works, and Bob Hayes, he was in my age. He, he, he could run like, like the wind. He worked on that. Great athletic ability. comes from God. You can figure out complex math problems. Everybody else in the class is going, I don't get it. do you get it? God, God. You came up with some great invention, God, and I'm telling you, when you complete your mission here, God, God, it's not me, but Christ in me. Paul learned this, Colossians 1, 29 says this, that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. It's Christ in me. Christ in me. The promise to the faithful is heartwarming. Listen to these words. I, 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 I believe this. We're going to hear this from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And then he adds this last incredible thing. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What an amazing tag. God is an overwhelmingly generous rewarder. He will reward you many times over than what you've done for him. Many times over. That is our God. He is generous. He is kind. He wants to bless you. Believe me, this is what you're going to see. And I'll tell you, when I, when I think, think about the generosity of God, when I think about him saying, enter into the joy of your Lord, when I hear him, when I hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, I could just, you could just melt in this presence and just say, oh, Lord, thank you, because it all came from you. It all came from you. Paul broke out into a, to a point of praise in Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. And he says these words, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or Who has been his counselor? Who has given to God that God should repay? From, to, from, from him and through him, And for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given to God that God should repay? No one. God is a generous rewarder. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what is awaiting you? The faithful. Bill Gaither had a song. 90% of you won't know this. 10% of older ones will know this. What a day it will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, folks, what a day, glorious day that will be. And then the next verse says this. And you tell me, well, let me say this. If you're past 40, well, I might even lower the net. If you're past 30, you might appreciate this. There will be no more sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness nor pain, hip, hip, hooray, no more parting over there, and forever I will be with the one who died for me, What a day, glorious day that will be. Oh, I could just, let's just put it off. Anyway, (laughs) enter into the joy of your Lord. I mean, it's exciting. Verse 24 and 25, the unfaithful guy with the excuses, they're all around. Verse 24, then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Go dig it up yourself. There, it's over there. What an attitude. It's astounding to me. This servant did not know the Lord. He did not gnosko the Lord. He did not know experientially his God. He did not have a relationship with the Lord. And he says that amazing thing. And can you imagine how hurtful this would be? I knew you'd be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Excuses, rationalization as to why I wasn't productive. What's the real problem? It was too hard. What you gave me to do, God, was too hard. You're too demanding. You're unsympathetic. You don't know what my needs really are. You don't know what my life is all about. The excuse is crescendo, and it says, to this, to, to Jesus, who, is, who loves you more than anything, I was afraid. I was afraid. So I did the next best awful thing. You put me in this awful situation. I hid the talent in the ground. And it's this type of thinking. I buried it, forgot, it, and forgot about it, and thought you would never come back. But then there was a the day of accountability. The guy showed no love for his master whom he blamed for the situation. Have you ever heard people blame God? God, why did you? God, why did you? Folks, you're going to have these questions through your whole life. We cannot understand the disasters that come. When you, have, when you say, God, why is you? You have to take the issues and evil of life all the way back to the beginning, to the fall of man, every evil thing, every sickness, every disease, every death. You know where it comes from. It comes from this fall. It comes from Satan. It comes from the evil that he brought into God's creation. Because when God created, when, uh, uh, after the seven days, what did he say? Everything was very good. And it wasn't until sin came that mess came. So we got to own our sin. The guy showed no love for his master. God is merciful and gracious. But hear this, Dr. Constable says this, grace never condones irresponsibility even those given less are obligated to use and develop what they have the saw the slothful servants last remark is astounding look look there you have underground that's what is yours a squandered opportunity a life wasted time wasted forever now watch how jesus addresses this now this is the gentle jesus watch how he does this I know this isn't Jesus per se in this, but this is really reflecting Jesus and and disciples, okay? But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited my money, not your money, my money with the bankers and at, at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Now, Jesus is real, okay? This isn't pretend Jesus, he's real. He pulls no punches, he tells it just like it is you wicked and lazy servant. And by the way, God is not into lazy. God is not into somebody trying to get out of everything that they've been called to do. He is not into lazy. It shouldn't be a characteristic of a believer. This guy ignored his master. He did his own thing. This guy was true to himself, true to his own heart, And he followed something called following your gut. Now, sometimes that's okay, and 99% of the time is not okay. More in just a second. Our world blasts us today with these words. Follow your truth. Now, you've heard this in the culture. You're very familiar with this. Trust your heart. Be true to yourself, and by all means, trust your feelings. Trust your feelings. Every little feeling, oh, just go right with that. And you're encouraged to do that in our world today. That's the triunity of evil, by the way, folks. The world, the flesh, and the devil. This is world think. This is flesh think. This is Satan think. What does the scripture say? Trust in what God says is truth. Now, most of you have this memorized. This might be, this might be on your refrigerator, on your dashboard, someplace in your heart. This is a very famous scripture. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. (laughs) Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. Psalm 37 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he will bring it to pass. Now, what you are not to do, do not do this. Calling all cars. Remember the. (laughs) Calling all cars. Don't do this. Do not trust your flesh. It will lie to you, It, 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 it wants its own way. Do not trust your heart, which is a reflection of your flesh. Do not be true to your fleshly heart. Do be true to God in His Word. Here, Jeremiah 17, 9, you guys know this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can know it? Now, should I trust my feelings? Yes, if it's in line with God's word. No, if it's in line with the world's ways. Why do I say that? God has given you something, and not just you, but every human in the world has this one thing. He's given you a conscience. So you are to listen to the conscience that he's given to you. Romans 2.15, he has written his law on the hearts of every person. And people have a conscience bearing witness as to what they should do or should not do. Conscience means this. The word con, the first part of it, means with. Shun's means knowledge. Every human knows with knowledge. That God has put into every human what is right and what is wrong. There's no guessing on this. See, what we see in our culture today is go against your conscience that God has given you and trust your feelings. That is the wrong way to go. Remember, the human mind is easily manipulated. Now, we know that there are indoctrinators out there, and I've given this example in the past of Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda czar. Now, he, was in, he really had influence over Germany from 1933 to 1945, okay? Listen to what he did. And you've heard, this is a quote that I've said several times, but it's a good quote, and I think this is what is happening in our world today. They've learned from people like Joseph Goebbels. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such a time as the state, the government, can shield the people from the political, economical, economic, or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state, the government, to use all of its powers to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus by extension the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. Joseph Goebbels' words to Adolf Hitler and how they controlled the whole nation and how they thought about the Jews and the Jews became less than human and allowed them to exterminate 6 million. That type of thinking permeated. Now, there are people that rebelled against that, but they died. Not everybody bought into that. You know the story of Bonhoeffer. Now, I want you to think about something, how information is controlled today. The elites have learned this. The world tyrants have learned this. You can, if you control information, you control people. And you only say what the state wants you to say. Now, if you don't walk lockstep with what the state says, what happens to you? Exactly what's going to happen to me on Facebook here. You're censored. You're censored. They don't want to hear this. Paint, and they paint the dissenters as radical, crazy, zealots, Uneducated fanatics, a danger to the rest of us, a dissenting voice. Remember, there is an all-out effort to suppress the truth. And the enemy of the lie, even according to Joseph Goebbels, is what? The truth. So what are we to do as the body of Christ? We must speak the truth. We must speak the truth. Speak the truth. Do not be silenced. Remember Erwin Lutzer's book, We Will Not Be Silenced. Live Not By Lies, Rod Dreyer's book, Live Not By Lies. We Speak the Truth. Remember Oz Guinness had this statement, One word of truth dispels a world of lies. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your source of truth? Where do you get your truth from? Are you getting it from, most of the population is getting it from these sources. Media, government, university Marxist professors are influencing your children when they go to college. They are doing that. Kids are coming out as non-believers. The progressive church, and when I say the progressive church, the church that does not believe that this is the infallible, inerrant word of God, they add all kinds of things and all different worldviews to their belief system. Are you following what big tech says? Are you listening to really rich people like Bill Gates, George Soros? Are you listening to the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization, who allow no dissenting voices? Look at, when someone tries to block anti-dissenting voice, then you know that what they're saying is questionable, questionable. Always examine something. Examine something. Proverbs 1817 says this. The first to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. They don't want any examination. So they're the first ones to get information out, but they don't want any examination of it. Be very careful with that. Jesus' words are sharp and penetrating. Take the talent from him. Give it to somebody else. Now, we often talk and we've talked about the redistribution of wealth. And look, I believe we should help poor people. But I don't believe we should enable poor people who don't want to work and who get caught up in lifestyles of drugs and that sort of thing that take their life from them. <laughs> help them with that. Help them to get out of that by all means. And I believe in providing help for people. I think welfare is appropriate in, in certain situations. But lifetime welfare or generational welfare? No. No. So I believe instead of equal distribution, that's the language that is used. Remember, it's diversity, inclusion, equality, equity. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, David. Yeah, equity, equity, not equality. There's a, reason, there's a big difference. Diversity, yes, if it's the right definition. Inclusion, by all means, if it's the right definition. Equity, no, because their view of equity is equal distribution depending upon whatever they want to who they want to distribute your stuff to so equal distribution always means they're taking something from you and giving it to somebody else now again we have taxes and that sort of thing we can help poor people but this this whole philosophy of redistributing the wealth believe me has has everything to do with your standard of living plummeting that's communism folks And in communism, people do not prosper. People are oppressed globally under communism. There's no communist government that works in the favor of the people. Most people want out of those governments and are dying to get out of those governments. That's how oppressive they are. One man said this, talking about equality is equal opportunity. That's what we're for, equal opportunity. One man said this, I've noticed the harder I work, The luckier I get. Hmm. Scripture says, if you will not work, you shall not eat, Second Thessalonians three ten. And it's interesting that God had a welfare program in the Old Testament. It was called gleaning. You left the outer parts of the field. So people would have enough energy, they would have to get out and do something in order to get those benefits. So it involves action, involves work. For everyone who, who has, more will be given. All that the man had was taken from him. His responsibility, a single talent, he wasted. He was proved unfaithful. Verse 30, what happens to the guy cast from the presence of God? And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, hear this. Some believe that this means that this is a believer who will lose their rewards at the Bema Seat Judgment. Now, some really influential people believe this. Chuck Missler believed this. Zane Hodges from Dallas Theological Seminary—he believed this. Both these guys are dead. They know better now. So, uh, <laughs> it seems—I guess I shouldn't have said—but anyway, uh, well, they do know better. They knew everything. They—they are now know-it-alls. <laughs> I guess when we get to heaven, we will know. It seems to me that outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, is a picture of hell and separation from God. And this is what happened to the unprofitable servant. This guy did not know his master, did not know his master. So closing thoughts, closing thoughts. The one who was not working is viewed as not genuine. Again, real salvation results in real change in a person's life. And we are to watch, be ready, and work do what god has called you to do. True believers will keep laboring and watching until the master comes for you. And remember, he's coming. You will have a day he will come for you. True believers represent their master in all situations. Now look at. I have this next picture coming up. No blending. So many Christians. People don't even know you're a Christian. They, you blend in like a chameleon all over and they, you're a Christian. Or if you are a Christian, and then you blend, that's even worse. You're telling them all about Jesus, and they're doing exactly the same stuff that they're doing. Folks, don't be a chameleon. The unbeliever is called wicked and lazy. The lake of fire was his destiny. No one gets into heaven by being a little good or even mostly good. One gets to heaven the Jesus way only. The Jesus way only. Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Once you receive the gift of salvation, remember salvation is by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. Believe that with all of our hearts. But we're to work for him at some level, some capacity, work for the Lord, represent him. Honor the Lord with your life. You have been given a life for a purpose. Use your life for his honor and glory. And remember this, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus and we hear these words. And I wanted to end with this picture on the screen. And I love this. I just picture this. Jesus just grabbing you and giving you a bear hug. This is like a Nick hug. I mean, just get right of You boom. I mean, that's a little, uh, uh, just a, mm, a nice welcome. Welcome. Listen to these words. Maybe it'll hit you a little bit harder this time. Then the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then the beauty of all this is that he knows our potential. He will not give you more than you can handle. The Lord was and is waiting for results in our lives. The master of those servants is fair, righteous, and loving. What a day it will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by the grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Folks, that will be the most glorious day of your life. And guess what? It's coming soon. We have previews of coming attractions happening all over our world today, folks, the king He is coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us this word to warn us. Thank you that you've given us this word to prepare us. Thank you that you've given us this word to share with other people the great, wonderful love story of Jesus. The love of Jesus for people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Thank you, Lord, to destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Lord. And one of these days, the kingdom will come, and we will be alive and well in the kingdom, serving our Lord forever. Millennial kingdom, a thousand years, and eternity forever after that. What a picture. What a joy. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.